You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right. Well, let's pray, and we'll get into the Word. Y'all ready tonight? Yes, sir. sir. I am too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Father, thank you for this, another opportunity to uh, minister your word, to gather around your word, Father, to feed upon it. Jesus said that your word is the bread of life. And so, Father, we purpose in our hearts to, to feast upon it tonight. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, that he'll bring revelation and insight Open our eyes and our hearts, Father, to be able to receive from you. And Lord, I thank you that in Jesus' name, by the time we get done with this, we're going to be better than when we started. And Father, we thank you and praise you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, while I'm talking a little bit, if you guys uh, want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. And what I want to do tonight is is endeavor, uh, you know, if uh, the Holy Ghost can always change, change my direction, but I want to begin to conclude our faith refresher study. Uh, this is part 10, week number 10 in this study. And so we've covered quite a bit in the study of faith. And, you know, there's more. I mean, I haven't exhausted it by any stretch of the imagination. But I want to talk a little bit about some things that maybe we need to understand about uh, victory and, and battles and that type of thing. And so let, let me jump into this by saying that our Christian life, it is God's will for us to live a life of victory. But here's the, the reality of the matter is you do not have victory unless you face some adversity, unless there are some trials in life. Now, we don't like to talk about the trials and things like that, because uh, I'll be the first one to admit, they're not fun. Uh, but life happens. We all, as long as we're here in this earth, uh, we're going to navigate through things. And so uh, what God's plan is, is for us to live and to experience victory no matter what we face. Now, wh what you need to understand is God has a purpose in the battles, and Satan has a purpose in the battles. Satan's purpose is to destroy you. God's purpose is to bring you to a place of victory. And so what that is the will of God every single time. Now, one thing that we in we need to be upfront and we need to acknowledge, you know, I don't want to ever have anybody that listens to what I teach from the word of God to uh, receive an implication that, uh, you know, when you live the life of faith, you're not going to have any problems. That is absolutely not the truth. Uh, that's not what God gives us faith for. Uh, but the life of faith in God's word doesn't exempt us from adversity, but it teaches us how to go through adversity and come out on the other side victorious. Now, there's nowhere in the Bible, no examples that are set for us where uh, God, in, in, for a person who believed his word and trusted in him, that he just shielded them from everything. 
No, they all went through adversities. They all went through some type of trials. And so as long as we live in this curse-filled, broken world, we're going to have battles and we're going to have times of adversity. Now, not every Christian, you might know this or might not know this, not every Christian comes out victorious. Not everybody comes out on top. And so uh, what we need to do is look at the word and what the word tells us, because here's what I do believe, that we can win every single time. If we will do what the word says and stay in faith and trust God, we can come out victorious every single time. So let's begin this. I want to uh, maybe unravel a little misbelief that some in the body of Christ have and answer the question, how do we grow in our walk with the Lord? Well, I, I, in first Tim, or first Peter rather, chapter 2 and verse 2, Peter wrote this. He said, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So the word of God, and of course, he's when he talks about babes and, and milk, he's talking about newborn, brand new Christians. But the way that we grow in our walk with the Lord is through the word of God, is through the word of God. Let me read this verse in the Passion Translation. It says, in the same way that nursing infants cry for milk, you must intensely crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word, for this milk will cause you to grow into maturity, fully nourished and strong for life. Now, of course, as, as newborn Christians, we start out on the milk of the word, but Paul made a reference to the meat of the word, that he desired to minister uh, meaty type things to the Corinthians, but they weren't able to handle it. So as we grow in the Lord, our diet, word-wise, doesn't always stay milk. It will turn into, uh, you know, stronger things as we grow and as we mature. But the thing that I want you to see, and the first point is this, is that we grow spiritually by the Word of God. Let me read to you and just listen. James chapter 1, verses 21 and 22 in the Passion Translation. It says this, so this is why we abandon everything morally impure and all forms of wicked conduct. Instead, with a sensitive spirit, we absorb God's word, which has been implanted within our nature, for the word of life has power to continually deliver us. Don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it, for that is the essence of self-deception. So always let his word become like poetry written and fulfilled in your life. So again, we grow as believers by feeding on the Word of God and applying it to our lives. Now, here's what some people uh, have formed a misbelief in the church, in the body of Christ, and that is this. We grow as we experience negative circumstances in our lives. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard anybody, you know, say that or or maybe imply that, but there are some people that believe that it's the negative things that happen to us in our lives that causes us to grow, and that absolutely is not the truth, and I'm going to show you that tonight. Get Write this statement down if you're taking notes, and I'm going to emphasize a couple of words 
And it's this, we grow by the word of God, as 1 Peter 2, 2 says, but, and we grow by the word of God and we grow through circumstances, not by circumstances. Now, let me say this again, because I'm going to define those two words. We grow by the word of God and we grow through circumstances, not by circumstances. So just in case you were wondering, you know, and I, as I was studying this, I thought, well, let me just, you know, look up these two words in the dictionary, see what they mean. And so I, I went to Dr. Google and uh, the word by, B-Y, means this, identifying the agent performing an action. Identifying the agent performing an action. So if growth is taking place in our lives, it, it happens, according to what we read there in the Word, it happens, the agent in our growth is the Word of God. Now, we go through circumstances. Now, here's what the word through means in the dictionary. Moving in one side and out of the other uh, side of, a, of an opening, a channel, or a location so as to continue in time toward the completion of a process. To go through something means we go in one side and out the other, and we continue toward the completion of a process. Let me say that one more time. To go through something means we move in, we go into it, and we come out of it on the other side, and so as to continue in time toward the completion of a process, okay? So what I'm saying to you is this. The Word of God is the agent that causes us to grow. Now, we can grow through circumstances, okay? Meaning there ought to be, while we're going through something, some growth that takes place, but it is not the circumstances that is the agent of the growth, okay? Let me say that again. We grow by the Word of God. We've already seen that clearly. Now, you can grow as you go through adversity, but it's not the adversity that causes the growth. It's the Word that you digest and stand on while you're in the adversity that causes you to grow. And see, what some folks have done is, yeah, they might have experienced some growth uh, as they went through some adversity. So what they did is attributed the growth to the adversity. Well, the adversity did not cause the growth. The growth happened and came about because of the Word of God in your heart while you were going through the adversity, all right? In other words, what we do develop in a time of adversity is two things the Bible talks about is endurance and patience. Endurance and patience. Those two things are produced in times of adversity. Okay, what is endurance? Endurance is the ability to make it through to the other side. And patience means to remain consistent as you go through the time of adversity. Now, I will say this, the only thing that uh, can cause endurance and, and really consistency is when you make a decision to stand on the Word of God, okay? 
So it is not the adversity that causes a growth, causes growth. Circumstances and adver- negative circumstances and trials and adversity simply set the stage that is set for us to grow in our faith in those times. Okay? They do not produce the growth. They give you an opportunity to grow in the word while you're going through those times. Okay? I want to be real real emphatic on this. Let me illustrate it this way. Okay? Um, you know, if, if you go to the gym, like if you go to planet fitness or whatever your gym is called, um, you're in the gym and you're surrounded by a bunch of weights and machines and things that, uh, you know, are designed to be in a gym because you're in the gym. Does it make you get stronger? You do not grow stronger because you're in the gym. What causes the growth is when you use the weights and machines and resist them, and that's what produces growth in your body. That's what causes your muscles to grow is not necessarily the weights. It's the resistance of the weights and the resistance that you afford to the weights. All right, so I can walk in the gym and have weights all around me. But it is not until I exert resistance against those weights that I will grow stronger. So that being said, you can be in adversity and have trials going on all around you, but you will not grow until you resist those trials using your faith and standing on the word of God. I hope that makes sense to you. I think the the gym situation is a great great way to look at it. You know, I can I can go in the gym, be around all of those trials and tribulations called free weights and and machines and all that kind of thing, but I will never grow uh and get get more fit if I do not exert some resistance against those things. See, what happens is a lot of people, a lot of Christians go into adversity and get their brains beat out of them because they don't resist. They don't do what is necessary to resist and offer resistance against those things. And so therefore, they, uh, you know, don't, they don't grow and, and the, 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 the energy and the spiritual energy and things that come from the word of God because they're not resisting the trials and the temptations, they suffer the consequences of those things. Let me say it to you another way. Owning a Bible doesn't make you spiritually mature. You've got to get the word of God that's in that Bible off the page and into your heart and then begin applying it to your life and resisting the circumstances of life. And that is when growth takes place. Okay. That's why the Bible is so emphatic about, you know, not just hearing the word, but doing it. Don't just be listening to the word, but but doing it as well. You need to hear the word, but you need to be a doer of the word as well. So all that being said, circumstances don't make you stronger. It's standing on the word against those circumstances that does make you stronger. 
Let me say that again. Negative circumstances, trials, tribulations, whatever you want to label it, they don't make you stronger when you stand on the word of God against those circumstances, that's what makes you stronger. Because here, let, let me say it to you this way. Just use some common sense. And we're just talking about Christians now. If trials and tribulations made Christians stronger, then we ought to have a universal church full of strong spiritual people. And we all know that's not the case. Okay? Because again, Everybody experiences adversity, tests, and trials, and all those types of things. So it is not the adversity. It's not the negative circumstances that cause the growth. It's when we resist those things standing on the Word of God. Circumstances are simply an opportunity to use the Word of God and the weapons that God has given us to overcome. Okay? I want to say that again, trials, tests, tribulations, negative circumstances are simply an opportunity to use the word of God and the weapons that God has given us to overcome those things. Now, I want to say this to you. How would you feel, uh, you know, just, just work with me here. How would you feel if I told you, okay, because you are a born-again believer, you already have the Word of God, you have the weapons of your warfare, you have everything necessary in order to win every single battle, every single fight you will face in this life, okay, Do, would that change your attitude towards negative circumstances, tests, and trials when they're presented to you. It absolutely would. Well, guess what? That's actually what the Bible says, okay? Now, let's go over to James chapter 1. Just You're there in First Peter still. Back up to a little bit, to a couple pages, to James chapter 1. And I want to read verses 2 through 4 because we haven't always understood what James was trying to tell us here, James chapter one, verses two through four, I'm going to read it from the new King James, and then I'm going to read it from the passion. James one, two says this, my brethren. So we know he's writing to believers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or consistency, but let consistency have its perfect work. Let it do its job that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So James says something really strange here. He says, okay, when you're facing some kind of adversity, count it all joy. Well, if you don't understand what I just said a few moments ago, that's going to sound like one of the craziest things that anybody could say. Now, now I will say this. He didn't say get happy when adversity shows up. Because, you, you know, there are some things that are going to show up, and you're not going to be happy. Happy and joy are two entirely different things. I can be joyful when I face adversity because I know going into the adversity, I already have everything I need to win and overcome the adversity. So, therefore, 
Why do I let the, the adversity, the trials, the pressure cause me to get discouraged and defeated when I already have all the necessary equipment in order to win the fight? Okay, now let me read those uh, verses to you from the Passion. It says this, my fellow believers, when it seems as though you're facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. Man, that's powerful. You would think the devil would wise up after a little while if, if believers started looking at uh, trials as opportunities to win, to fight and to win, you'd think he would quit bringing them into our lives, but he's not that smart, okay? But we need to be wiser in knowing, okay, when it seems as though we're facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy you can. Real faith, real Bible faith is when you know from the word of God, and again, I, I'm not uh, diminishing adversity that we go through, okay? Because it isn't fun and it doesn't make you happy, but you can have peace and joy down here in your spirit knowing, okay, I am going to win this time. I am coming out on the other side of this victorious. Somehow, some way, God is going to bring me to a place of victory because his word declares that he will. All right? Now, when you come through adversity and you stood on the word of God, you come out, of the, come out on the other side more mature than when you went in the adversity. Okay? Now, here's I want to give you three things that can happen to you when you face hard times. Three things that can possibly happen to you. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> when you face adversity. Number one, you can get hardened by it. You can get hardened by it. Meaning, that, and that's not a good thing. In other words, you, you allow it to... Uh, cause you to become bitter. You call it, it can cause you to become um, where you're just a, a frustrated person all the time. Uh, that's what getting hardened by adversity means. Uh, you know, the second thing is you can be overwhelmed and crushed by it. You can be overwhelmed and crushed by it. Now, I want to say this to you. In all three of the things I'm giving you right now, the deciding factor is you. You are the one that determines what happens when that adversity shows up. Number three is, uh, you can number one, you can get hardened by that adversity. Number two, you can be overwhelmed and crushed by it. Or number three, you can stand on God's word and grow through that adversity and win victoriously. All right, now, Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1. You were there in 1 Peter 2. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want to read to you. Um, 
Let me read it to you out of the uh, New Living Translation. It says this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested. Now, what's being tested? Your faith is being tested. And by the way, that's why the devil brings adversity into our lives, is to get us to back away from what we believe. Okay, you remember Jesus said in Mark chapter 4 that uh, the devil comes to steal the word that is in people's hearts. What he does is he brings adversity, trials into our lives in order to uh, get you to quit believing whatever it is that you believe. How many of you have ever realized or maybe noticed that when you have been in the word and you find something in your word and you say, you know what? I believe that's true. I'm going to obey you, Father. I'm going to believe what your word says, and I'm going to walk in this. How many of you have ever noticed that it's not too long that some type of adversity shows up, and it's probably in the area that you decided you were going to believe and trust God in? And so what happens is that pressure is brought to bear to get you to back off of what it is you declared you believe. That's what Peter is telling us. So verse 7, these trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, look at this. It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Now, I want to, I didn't misread that. Okay. It says that when you endure the adversity and you come out victorious and your faith is, is purified by that fire. Okay. Notice what he says. It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Now, that's powerful. In other words, you know, we often, and we should, we, we want to give Jesus all the praise and the honor and the glory, but Jesus wants to one day be able to recognize you and honor you because you remained victorious, you endured the trial, and you came out on top, and because you did, your faith is what brought you through, and so he wants to one day honor you for that. Hallelujah. So the power of God is present to help and protect you, but it happens by faith. Now, as we have been talking about, your faith is what activates the power of God during those times of adversity. So when you stay in faith, you're giving God something to work with so that he can manifest that, that delivering, providing, protecting, healing, whatever it might be, power 
that you need operative in your life. Now, we greatly rejoice in these times, as James said. God's purpose and design is that if we will lift up praise and rejoice during times of adversity, it causes those times to become precious to us because they're purifying your faith and causing it to become more and more pure. Now, let me, let me say, illustrate it this way or, 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 or play it out for you this way. How many of you have found that a lot of times when we're going through adversity is when we really dig in? When, when the pressure is on, that's when we really get focused. That's when we really uh, you know, endeavor to spend time in the word where we're praying, where we're we're just going after those things with intent and laser focus. Well, when you're doing that, guess what happens? The Spirit of God will begin to cause things that might be hindering you and your faith from reaching its maximum potential. He'll reveal those things to you so that you can eliminate them and get them out of the way. Let me, let me say it to you this way. If you're familiar with the process of how they produce gold for jewelry and things like that, you know, when you mine gold and you bring it up to the surface of the earth, you can't just take the raw material and produce jewelry or find stuff out of it. What they have to do is they have to heat it up to very, very high temperatures and the impurities that are in that gold, because it's been in the earth, will rise to the top. And what they do is they scrape the top of that molten gold and rake off those impurities. And they keep doing that over and over and over again until as much as possible, the impurities are out of it. And, and that's how you get the higher quality of gold and you know where it's 24 karat or whatever the case might be is, is the more pure it is and they've done that by heating it up and and bringing those impurities out well when you're in the middle of that adversity in the middle of that fire okay it's your your faith is being uh heated up so to speak and so oftentimes what happens during those times is the impurities rise to the top and God gives us opportunity to be able to rake that off so that our faith becomes more and more and more pure. And as we grow and we grow in those things, we come out of the adversity more pure than when we went into the adversity. Okay. Now, again, the adversity is not what produces growth. The word of God is what produces growth, and using your faith is what produces growth. But the adversity is what gives us those opportunities. So I want to say this to you. We have a tendency when we're in those times to be focused on the answer or deliverance or coming out on the other side of that adversity. And, and you know, to a degree, rightfully so. But God is also interested in what goes on in that process uh, to get you to the answer, because as the Bible says, that's where character and maturity are developed, okay? Let me say that to you again. 
you and I tend to focus on the the, the answer. In other words, God, uh, are, are you still up there? I really need to get out of this situation and I need to get out of it now, okay? And I need you to show up now. I need you to, you know, bring deliverance, whatever it might be now. And, and of course he will, but what I'm saying to you is don't solely be focused on the victory at the other, at the other side, but be, be also aware of the process that brings us to that. And, uh, that, that is where God develops character and maturity. Now I'm going to say this to you as a pastor, there's a lot of things. Uh, well, let me say it to you this way. There's a lot of growth and maturity that I have experienced as a minister because or through the adversity that I've gone through as a minister that I would not have experienced or would the growth would not have happened without that. It's the process of that that God used or took advantage of in order to... Um, cause character and maturity to be developed in me, okay? So when adversity shows up, or let me say it to you this way, you know, when you wake up in the morning, and particularly on Monday morning, don't ask yourself this question, what am I going to face today? In other words, what is going to happen? You, you know, the, the, the old saying, you know, if, if, it, if it can go wrong, it probably will all those types of, don't ask yourself those kind of questions. Go into your day asking yourself this question, how can I grow and mature today? How can I be developed today? Okay. Now, um, when the, we should grow through the circumstances and when the devil brings bad circumstances into your life, let God turn them around for our good and not only able enable us to win, but grow in that process. Okay. In other words, let me say it to you this way, going back to the gym illustration, you know, again, it's the, the growth that happens is when we offer resistance to the machines and resistance to the weights. And so, uh, that is part of the process. If you want to desire to, to have a fit body and build muscles and those types of things, then you're going to have to go through that process in order to experience that. Romans chapter 5. Look over there with me, please. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says this. And I'm going to read it from the New King James. I'm going to read it from the Amplified. The New King James says this, Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, or that's another word for endurance, and endurance, character, and character, hope. Let me read it to you out of the Amplified. Therefore, since we are justified, acquitted, declared righteous, and given a right standing with God through faith, let us grasp 
the fact that we have the peace of reconciliation to hold on and to enjoy peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Through him also, we have our access, our entrance, our introduction by faith into this grace, the state of God's favor in which we firmly and safely stand. And let us rejoice and exult in our hope of experiencing and enjoying the glory of God. Moreover, let us be full of joy now. Let us exult and triumph in our troubles and rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that pressure and affliction and hardship produce patient and unswerving endurance. And endurance, fortitude, develops maturity of character, approved, which he defines as approved faith and tried integrity. And character of this sort produces the habit of joyful and confident hope of eternal salvation. Such hope never disappoints or deludes or shames us, for God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And, you know, as I was uh, putting these scriptures together, I was thinking about all of the things that, man, Paul endured. You know, if there's anybody that experienced adversity and trials and uh, whatnot for the sake of the gospel, that man went through it, but he always kept his heart right. He always did practice what he has here and, and uh, you know, triumphing in the troubles, but he also rejoiced in them, not because of them. He wasn't rejoicing because of the trials. He wasn't happy because he was going through trials, but he rejoiced because he knew what God would do in that, through that, to develop him and cause him to have maturity and character. So what I'm saying to you is, is that when adversity shows up in our lives, you can get excited about that. Now, again, I know it's not pleasant and it's not fun, but, but your, your attitude, our attitude, my attitude ought to be when adversity shows up, all right, here we go. Here's another opportunity for me to stand in faith on God's word, see God show up and do what he does. And at the same time, endure this. And I'm going to build endurance. I'm going to build character. And I'm going to come out on the other side of this situation stronger, more mature, and better than when I went into the situation. And, and if, man, I'm telling you, if we will learn, and I'm including myself in this, if we will learn to maintain and have this kind of attitude when adversity shows up, after a while, the devil will learn to leave you alone, okay? He'll quit messing with you, but if you start getting excited every time he brings some pressure into your life, he's going to realize that he's failed in his endeavor, all right? Now, go back with me to the book of Deuteronomy, please. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter, and I want to look at verse three. Now, um, I'm going to read this verse, and then I'm going to make some commentary, and I'm going to show you how God operates in, in some of these things, okay? Now, I want you to think about, let me lay this groundwork before I read this one verse. When the children of Israel 
came out of Egypt, they had been in bondage for 400 years, however many generations that is. So slavery, bondage, poverty, um, all the things that they experienced in Egypt, all of that was a part of them. It was so ingrained into who they are and were that God had to not only do a work uh, in, in taking care of them, but he had to do a work in changing them so that they could become the people that, that God wanted them to be and needed them to be, all right? So that's why a lot of times, you know, there's a verse that says that the reason that uh, God had to take them a particular route through the wilderness was because they were not ready to face the enemies that they would have faced if they had gone the shorter and quicker route uh, because they had never had to fight like that before. And so what would have happened is if they had run up against those enemies, and this is all my paraphrasation, but if they had run up against those enemies, the Lord said it would have broken their hearts and their courage, and they would have tucked tail and run back to Egypt. And so what he had to do is he had to route them a different way through the wilderness so that they could build up what they needed in order to be prepared uh, so when they got to the promised land, they would be ready to overcome the adversaries and the, the pressure, the temptations, the tests and trials that would be there in the promised land. So all of that being said, Deuteronomy chapter eight and verse three. Um, well, let me, let me uh, look, look at verse two. And you shall remember that your, the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, I want to say this. It was not the will of God for the children of Israel to wander around in the desert for 40 years. His plan was for them to go and come up against the promised land. If you remember what caused them to have to wander around in the promised land for 40 years had nothing to do with God, but had everything to do with them. Because when they came up, you remember when they came up against the promised land and Moses sent the spies in, when the spies came back, the 10 had the bad report, the two had the good report, and all the people latched on to the bad report of the 10. And, and, and you know, I was reading this the other day, and the Bible says, that they, after they heard the bad report, you know, we can't go in there. There's giants. They'll destroy us, blah, blah, blah. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. It upset the people so much that the Bible says they went in their tents and they cried and wailed all night long till they could cry no more. And here's Joshua and Caleb standing there going, what are you people doing? We can do this. Okay. So because they were in that position and the, and the people sided in with that report of unbelief, God could not let them go in uh, because they would have been destroyed because that they saw themselves as destroyed before they ever got into the land. And so that's why I'm saying, and the word test there is prove you, okay, so to know what was in your heart. And basically, God already knew what was in their heart. He needed them to know what was in their heart. But look at verse 3. So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, 
that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, here's what I want, to, want you to see. If God had never brought them to a place where they got hungry, then he would have never had an opportunity to provide for them. Okay, now let me, let me explain it to you this way. God allowed them to hunger and he fed them, but he wanted to bring them to a place to understand that food was not the answer. He is the answer. Mm -hmm. And you remember Jesus quoted this verse uh, when the devil tempted him and told him to turn the stones into bread. You remember that? And he mm -hmm. told the devil, it's written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now listen to me carefully. Let's relate this to our lives. Whether I have money or I don't have money, I must come to the realization that money is not the answer. The word of God is my answer, and the word is able to address every need or every circumstance. In other words, during those times of adversity, we come to the point where the word of God becomes more precious to us than simply having that need met at that moment. Now, God wants to meet the need, but he needs us to be more in love with his word than he does in us having the need met. Money comes and money goes, but the word lasts forever. Now, let me go on. Money can never bring me the word of God, but the word of God can always bring me money. Yes. Money can never bring me closer to God, but getting closer to God can bring money into my life. And that's what he wanted the children of Israel to find out. That's what he wanted them to learn. Now, of course, he took care of them. He took very good care of them. But the thing he wanted them to do is come to the place where they needed him and not the manna. And God wants to do the same thing in our lives. He wants to bring us to a place where we need his word and we need him because we understand that it is by his word and, of course, through him that every need in our life is taken care of. Coming through adversity should give you and me a greater appreciation for the word of God during those times. That's why Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He wasn't saying we don't need bread, we don't need food, we don't need provision, we don't need money, we don't need all those things. But he wanted us to get the fact that if we will latch on to the word and seek the word of God, the word will produce all of those things in our lives. Getting closer to God in his word and through prayer and study and worship will cause those things to come into our lives. Those other things, those things, having your needs met, do not necessarily bring you closer to God. All right? When you come through adversity and you've stood on the word of God, you come out on the other side more mature than when you went in to the adversity. 
All right. Now, as I begin to wrap this up, how then are we to handle uh, or not to handle tests and trials? What did the children of Israel do? Well, go over with me to Hebrews chapter three. Hebrews chapter three, quickly. I'm running out of time. Hebrews chapter three, verse seven. And let's learn from what the children of Israel did. Paul quoting, he said this, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says in Hebrews 3, 7, today, if you will hear his voice and do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, the old King James says provocation, okay, in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested and tried me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my way. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Brethren, uh, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now, in that one verse, he tells us what unbelief is designed to do. Unbelief is designed to do something in your heart to cause you to depart from God. Okay, let me go on. But exhort one another daily, today while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion or the provocation. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with him was he now with whom, excuse me, he was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? but to those who did not obey. Verse 19 sums it up. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now, why, did God, why does God say, you know, I was upset with them. I was angry with them. Okay, well, let me, uh, let me just define for you why God called this a provocation or a rebellion. Now, think about this. When they came out of Egypt, what was the first thing with water that they faced? The Red Sea. Okay. So God delivered them from too much water at the Red Sea. Mm -hmm. Then they came up to a place, an oasis in the wilderness where they needed water, but the water was bitter. What did God do? God delivered them from Mara, M-A-R-A -A is what it was called, which was bitter water. You remember uh, Moses uh, acted and, 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 and did what God told him, and the water was turned sweet. Then they came to another place where there was no water called Meribah, and God caused water to come out of the rock and, and for them. And by the way, that's the way God provided water for them for the rest of their journey. Okay, so here's what I want you to see, and this is what the the reference to it is, is that they went through, they saw all of those things. Now, forget what they saw in Egypt, all the miracles that God did in Egypt to bring them out. Forget what they saw in God providing all this water for them. 
Forget what they saw in the manna. Forget what they saw in the quail. By the way, you know, what do I say? Pay attention to details. Have you ever read in the book of Exodus when the Bible says God sent the quail to them, that God caused the quail to fly at a, at a level that all they had to do was stand out and reach and grab? The quail weren't dead laying on the ground. The quail were fresh. All they had to do was reach out and grab them midair. What a miracle, okay? But after all of that, after all God did for them and all God declared to them and the promises that he made about taking them to the promised land, what angered God, what got God so upset and what kept them from being able to enter in was this one thing called unbelief. And so what I want us to see is this, the next generation showed up at the same place and did the same thing that the first generation did. In other words, can I say this to you? If you don't, if you and I don't learn to overcome adversity, guess what? You're going to have to come around that bush again. And you're going to face that same adversity until you win, until you overcome it. And, and, uh, you know, we can never get away from those things. We can never get away from tests and trials. But the fact of the matter is, uh, if we will learn to overcome in those things, that God will bring it, bring us to a place of maturity. Now, let me move on quickly. I got to end it. Let me give you four ways to handle adversity or four wrong ways that the, that the children of Israel did in handling the adversity. Here's number one. They became calloused to it. They became calloused to the adversity, to the test and trials. Okay. Number two, they murmured and complained. Now, I can promise you this if you murmur and complain in a time of trials, you're going to face that trial again. The devil's going to make sure of it. Number three, criticism. Oftentimes, the children of Israel uh, shifted the blame off of them. They weren't, you know, they were. They never once admitted, hey, uh, we didn't go in. We couldn't go in because of our own unbelief, our own hard hearts. No, what they would do is they'd say, Moses, why did you bring us out here? Did you bring us out here to kill us? All right, so they criticized. And then number four, they were apathetic. In other words, they were clueless and didn't see any profit coming out of, of what they went through to get to the promised land. Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that realized that they profited from that, that they had developed and grown and were ready to go in and take the land, okay? Now, here's a key, and I want to give you two things, and then I'm done. Here's the key that the children of Israel failed to do. Remember what the Lord did for you when he brought you out the first time. If you'll remember that and, and keep it in the forefront of your heart. In other words, I know that if he brought me out of this situation or a similar situation, he will do it again. Okay, there's an old song called that. All right. Now, 
Here's the second thing I want you to get on top of everything else, and then I'm done. Don't, when you face adversity, quit asking yourself, what am I doing wrong? Because oftentimes adversity will come when we're doing everything right. Okay. In other words, don't let adversity be a clue that your life is jacked up or that you're messed up. Now it can come as a result of that, but listen, don't let the, don't let the devil start getting you to beat yourself up asking what, woe is me? What is wrong with me? Why is this showing up? Why don't you ask yourself, man, I must be doing something right. Cause here comes some pressure. Here comes some adversity, but here's the good news. I am going to come out on the other side of this victorious because in Jesus' name, I win every single time. Let's go into this. This is why Paul could say, this is why I glory in infirmities, because I know this is another opportunity for the power of God to show up and manifest itself and bring me to a place of victory and in, in where I can win this thing by faith in God's word. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.